0: The following program presents principles designed to promote good health and is not intended to take the place of personalised professional care. The opinions and ideas expressed are those of the speakers. Viewers are encouraged to draw their own conclusions about the information presented. Welcome to Healthy Living. I'm your host, Margot Marshall. In our last program, we asked the question, Can food change our mood? In part two of this topic, we will look about biochemical individuality and targeted nutrient strategies for mental health.
1: Healthy Living is a production of 3ABN Australia Television, focusing on the health of the whole person, body mind and spirit you'll learn natural lifestyle principles with practical health solutions for overall good health
0: today we will continue our discussion on nutritional biochemistry and mental health my guest is dr andrew pennington who is an integrative general practitioner welcome andrew and tell us what an integrative general practitioner is.
1: Sure, thanks for having me. It's uh, lovely to be with you. Um, an integrative general practitioner or integrative doctor is, is someone who um, takes from both orthodox uh, strategies, um, traditional things that we learn in, in medical school and, and postgraduate training, but also looks at evidence-based complementary medicine strategies and tries to merge both of them together for the best outcome for the patient. So it often involves using um, a lot of lifestyle approaches, um, nutritional approaches, environmental uh, approaches. Some doctors also do skills in counseling or uh, acupuncture or other tr- traditional Chinese medicine. There's, there's a lot of different ways that people look at integrative medicine. But my interest predominantly is in nutrition and lifestyle and how that um, has a role in health.
0: Excellent, and it does play a big role, as we 've been noticing in past programs. It
1: certainly does um, and um, just if I just recap because this is part two of, of the discussion that we 're having yes. about brain health and nutritional. Uh, chemistry, but it really, really, what we probably should have said is gut and brain health, because there's there's quite a strong connection between the two. Um, and if we have a look at just one of the slides from the last um, presentation that we had, and I particularly just want to focus on this for our viewers to recap again, because I think this is one of the landmark studies looking at depression. And can we treat depression using food? And, and the answer is absolutely we can. And this was a randomised controlled trial that was done in Australia at, under Felice Jacker and her team in Deakin University. Um, and as you can see in this trial, if I just briefly explain it again, they took a group of individuals who had depression um, and then they looked at their diets and they found the, di- the, the group of people within those depressed individuals who they felt had a poor diet and they randomized that group of people into a dietary intervention, um, and I, it may have included social support. I just can't remember. I'd have to look at the paper again, but at least a diet intervention versus another. the other arm of the randomization was social support only. And as you can see in this, this graph here, the people who were randomized to social support, this is on the left hand side, is the or the y-axis is the depression scores, um, and uh, down the bottom is the two groups. You can see here that after three months of the intervention, the social support group did improve too. So just giving social support improves. But um, you can see in the diet intervention that there's a much bigger improvement. Mm -hmm. So um, you certainly can treat depression with diet. And this was essentially a good Mediterranean style diet with lots of fruits, vegetables, whole grains, uh, good oils. So um, that, that was possibly the first decent quality trial to really prove that it is possible to treat depression with diet and i guess i'd like to perhaps go a little bit deeper and so uh, today for the viewers it, it will be a little bit of chemistry there's <laughs> going to be a little bit of i'll try oh, and well break that takes it down a long way <laughs> so i'll try and break it down with you um and make it not too difficult to understand um, but i want to focus a little bit on the questionable well, how would this work like why would diet have an impact on mood and and how does it work well, I think the, the first thing that may be obvious to many of you is that, well, if you get the, the right nutrients, then your brain is going to be using the right nutrients and, and actually be healthy. So well, That makes
0: sense, I mean, that, it's a, bit like in- a car. That's
1: right. <laughs> uh, that makes intuitive sense. And I think our whole body needs good quality nutrients. You know, all, all organs and tissues require that. Um, so that, I guess, is not too um, uh, unusual to, to say. But the other point is that if you have a poor diet, you may not have the nutrients in the right ratios that your brain's producing its neurotransmitters. And for those of you who don't know what a neurotransmitter is, but a neurotransmitter is essentially a middleman in the communication between your nerves. It, it, you know, you've got a couple of nerves that will come together, and then they release a neurotransmitter to take the electrical impulse from one nerve to the other nerve. So... Um, if you get the neurotransmission uh, right you tend to help people's mental health um, and obviously people with good neurotransmission don't tend to have mental health problems um, the other way that this works and they're, they're all into play is that it improves the gut microbiota or the microbiome which is the composition of bacteria and um, and other um, microbes in the gut um, and they repay us and we talked earlier in the last program about one example of e coli and its ability to produce um, neurotransmitter precursors and vitamins that are helpful for both the colonic health and for brain health and other health Uh, and i should have added also into that discussion which i I didn't mention last time is the role of inflammation so when you feed your gut microbiota a good food sources causes a decreased level of inflammatory reactions in our body and the opposite is true if we feed junk food and rubbish to our microbiota they produce you you basically produce more inflammatory reactions in your bowel and that can go into other parts of your body as well so um but the other role here is uh, or actually it is linked sorry with this comment the inflammatory uh, comment but uh the other process which happens when we have inflammation is we get oxidative stress. And for those of you who don't know what oxidative stress is, essentially the easiest way to look at it is it's rust. It's it's aspects in our body rusting, um, which is an oxidative reaction in metal. But this can happen in our body. We release too many free radical oxygen species. And normally we mop those up in our body using antioxidants. And of course, a lot of those antioxidants come from a good quality diet, fruits and vegetables, etc. Um, so I think that that probably gives you a bit of a summary as to why food can have some impact on mood and neurotransmission. Um, so I wanted to just—that's
0: good. I'm, I'm pleased you explained all that because even if we didn't get it all, or if we got it but don't remember it, it we, at least you've satisfied us that it does play a role. For sure. And it's been established how it works. Thank you.
1: Now, one of the, what I'm going to introduce to you, your audience now is something that many may not have heard of, um, and. Uh, although I wouldn't be surprised if intuitively a lot of people felt that this may be valid, um, and this data comes out of unfortunately some of the a lot of the data is actually unpublished, so it's it's hard to show this in the literature, um, and so there needs to be some level of caution in, in interpreting it. But um, uh, this comes from Dr. Bill Walsh in the United States, and he has. Um, Learned some techniques using, through a nutritional psychiatrist a couple of people who were interested in, in nutritional psychiatry around.
0: nutritional psychiatry, yes. so that's a new term to me well it, it's, it's been around for many okay. years uh,
1: the mm. founders of because you have to understand that um, before we ever had antipsychotic and antidepressant and other psychoactive drugs how did we treat mental illness? How did we work with these people? Well, often we didn't know much what to do with them, but there were a couple of people in the US who felt that there was some nutritional issues involved here. Um, and in particular, they started using different vo- concoctions of vitamins and minerals to try and treat mental illness. Now, uh, some of that stuff's quite old fashioned in the way it was done. And, um, but what they did find, quite interestingly, was that certain subsets of people with schizophrenia Responded very, very well to vitamin B3, which Isn't is niacin. That interesting? was
0: well, that just not a disease you just don't want to have? Well, not at all. But and uh, so to think there's some help there from absolutely from nutrition is incredible.
1: Absolutely, and I, I won't focus too much on schizophrenia today, um, but. But what basically the, the um, profoundness that came out of that was about 40% of people had schizophrenia would actually recover with high doses of vitamin B3. Recover. I'm talking, you know, back to being not delusion or not having paranoia, voices, etc., not not psychotic behaviours, and mm. and this was anecdotal experience, of course. Um, so it's it's not greatly published work, but um, and and that's one of the. I do still struggle, I guess, with it not having the published data that it should for it to gain the credibility amongst many mm-hmm. of my colleagues. But um, I hope that will eventually come. But I will say um, th- this laid the platform for pe- for some people, some psychiatrists in the US to think about nutrition. And as I say, this was before antipsychotic therapy was developed, which sort of happened in the 1950s um, when some of the first antipsychotic medications mm-hmm. came out. And of course, what happened then was you had a whole lot of Uh, Doctors who basically jumped on board with that as being the way to treat. And then it it became very mainstream that that was what happened. But there are alternate ways of looking at it. So I want to focus a little bit today on depression, though, not so much on schizophrenia, although that that is a condition that that we can treat with nutrient therapy too. Mm. Um, And I want to just put a slide up for you from Dr. Walsh's work um, looking at individual biochemistry and variation in depression. So Dr. Walsh has around about 3,000 odd people who have clinical depression diagnosed um, on his database. And he has tested them for many different chemical and vitamin and mineral analyses. Um, and this is what he finds. Not all people with depression have the same chemistry in their brain. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is very interesting. And I will explain some of these things through this presentation. But you can see here that under methylation is about two in five people and folate deficiency which is really over methylation the opposite of that and i'll explain these terms as i say later makes up about so that's
0: the big blue one there
1: the big blue one and the green pie they are what we call methylation problems and we'll talk a little bit this is a genetic issue um it comes inherited and and we'll talk um about what that means but they have completely different treatment strategies um uh, and if you treat them the same way one will get better one will get worse um, so then you've got about in the the yellow part of the chart there shows copper overload now this is something that i wish my colleagues understood a bit more about because it really is associated with people with anxiety uh, and adhd in a number of conditions having too high copper and if i can talk just briefly to the traditional medical models there is a disease genetically of copper overload we call wilson's disease and it's well recognized within wilson's disease and that they basically they'll get liver damage from excessive amount of copper um that those people get psychiatric symptoms too so what we're talking here is not wilson's disease we're talking about a spectrum of people who don't fulfill that criteria but they they still have elevated coppers but it's not as high as what happens in wilson's disease and it causes psychiatric problems so um some people have a toxic metal exposure it's not that common but you know clearly if you had a whole lot of lead exposure or arsenic or mercury Mm -hmm. that ain't good for your brain um (laughs) and uh and it can cause trouble Mm -hmm. and then there's some other rarer things like celiac disease which is a gluten intolerance issue that can cause psychiatric problems um hypoglycemia thyroid disorders they can all create mental health problems but they're not as common you can see they're in the sort of five percent bracket Pyro disorder i don't really like to refer to it as pyroid disorder i'll probably refer to it as a functional deficit of zinc and vitamin b6 and we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit uh, later so um, maybe if we we go first into probably one of the things that i'd really like to focus on and that is the balance between zinc and copper in our body um, and these two nutrients are critical for our brain function we, we need them for many different chemical reactions. Um, zinc is important in, in many uh, health reactions, gut health, immune function, skin, nails, hair, taste, digestion. But if we go back to that slide just on the copper-zinc um, uh, balance, Um, If you actually look on the periodic table of elements, the copper and zinc are right next to one another. They're really similar in size and they compete with each other for function. So what happens is when one's high, the other is often low and vice versa. So that actually tells you how how you can treat the, the, the disorders. So very rarely do I see low copper. It's almost always high copper and low zinc. And normally for brain function, and there's a couple of papers in the literature on this, it's not a lot, but... We should have an optimal level of about one to one ratio between the two, even a little bit more zinc than copper would be great. But invariably, people who have mental health problems, if copper is associated, they'll have a high copper and it can sometimes be as much as three to one ratio of copper Whoa. to zinc. Um, and, and, uh, and that can create problems. And what kind of problems? Anxiety and panic. Postpartum anxiety, depression, fatigue, poor sleep. So this is a common one I see. People just can't get off to sleep. And I'll tell you why that happens in a sec.
0: That postpartum, that's following birth.
1: Yes, following birth. That's right. Um, ADHD and poor concentration. Mm -hmm. Copper is a nasty player in people concentrating anger outbursts and poor stress control. It's even associated with fibromyalgia and chronic pain syndromes. So um, now I'm not saying this is the only factor involved, I'm certainly not, but I want you to understand this has a role. And just to explain the chemistry to people, up the top there you can see dopamine is converted to NA, or what we call noradrenaline, mm-hmm. and this is because the enzyme in our body that makes this conversion normally, so we, we will convert dopamine, it's a neurotransmitter that we generally use to concentrate with, mm-hmm. you know, and we will release it when we get reward from various um, things that, we, you know, our, our brain uses a dopamine system. It will, copper catalyzes the enzyme that converts dopamine into noradrenaline. And the problem with this, of course, is if you were, had a concentrating system and you move that into an adrenaline-based system, you're actually moving your body from concentration to fight or flight. And now that's great if you need to fight or flight, but if you're having this constantly happening because you've got a genetic reason for high copper, you're going to be on edge constantly and you're eventually going to get fatigued because your body's using up all its stress hormones so it 's a very important thing, I think, for us to understand that copper and zinc play a role in mental health, uh, and as you can see, you know one seventeen percent can get depression.
0: Did, did um, I understand you to say that a lot of medical people don't actually understand that or, or?
1: look, I, I guess they just have, haven't sort of had the exposure to this mm. level of training mm. um, and perhaps to be fair, there isn't a bucket load of literature on this no. so um, and, and I want to stick wherever I can to evidence based practice but um As I've adopted some of these as a bit of an experimental approach with my patients time and time again, I've seen the benefit of normalising the copper-zinc ratio in patients. So I hope we do get some good quality trials in the future, but this is certainly, uh, in my opinion and my clinical experience, this is very relevant.
0: So, Andrew, are you saying that when you have normalised it, which you can do, then that takes care of their problem?
1: Often, but it may not be the only issue that's going on for them. I understand that. So if we move on to the next one, I wanted to talk a little bit about ADHD And ADD and there'll be a number of parents who may be uh, struggling with this issue with children. Whole diet plays a role and we talked about this in an earlier program where whole food plant plant roles a good amount of food that definitely has a role in ADHD but also um, uh, and so yeah that's the lower adherence to the Mediterranean diet so um, higher rates of ADHD we've discussed that in a previous um, program as well Um, but I also want to talk about The role of micronutrients in adhd and if we can go to the next um slide you'll um oh it looks like we don't have one for that well let me just talk to that briefly copper as you could see converting dopamine to noradrenaline makes people poorly concentrate and they get agitated and and Hmm. on edge now you imagine a poor child who's in the classroom who's constantly having this progress they're not going to concentrate they're no, going to be the daydreamer no. they're going to be fidgety they're going to be uh, potentially anxious
0: and they're probably not going um, to be learning they're not learning
1: that. um okay. so those people lowering their copper and getting their zinc higher will often help them um but let's move on to the next slide there which talks a little bit about methylation problems and i hope i got time to go into this it's it's quite complicated the the um just before actually we look at these traits of people um Uh, methylation in simple terms is a chemical reaction in our body that can actually control DNA expression. Um, and it's a methyl groups are carbon with three hydrogens off them and a free electron spot, which makes them negatively charged. And we use them like bookmarks in a sentence. We place methyl groups on the DNA and it will change the electrostatic configuration of the DNA coiling on the chromatin molecule that stores the DNA in our nucleus of cells. Now, probably most of our listeners know that DNA is a code to produce proteins. Um, and when you read DNA, that's what you'll, you'll spit out that gene, um, as in the proteins that come from that But if you can control whether that reading of that DNA is possible or not using methylation um, and that's essentially one of the mechanisms that our body does. Now this has a role in mental health. Because, do you remember we talked earlier about the neurotransmission? Yes. Where electrical impulse comes down the nerve, crosses over using a neurotransmitter. Now, what actually happens in that little gap there is that the neurotransmitter is re-uptaken back into the nerve terminal of that nerve that sent the impulse in the first place and repackaged. And it uses little protein pumps to do that. Now, the amount of protein pumps that are expressed on your nerve terminal are under the control of DNA methylation. And methylation is genetic. It's because the enzymes that control that chemical reaction are inherited. And depending on the combination of which ones you've got um, will depend whether you actually have a normal level of methylation, which about 70% of the population do, or whether you have low methylation or under methylation or over methylation or high methylation. And it's interesting, and we'll go into these traits, that the methylation chemistry causes people to have certain personality traits, which is very fascinating. You never look at the world the same way again once you understand this. Because people who are low or under-methylated tend to have these traits here. The the classic individual is they're very strong-willed, they're perfectionist, they're competitive. Um, They have a very strong sense of what's right and wrong and they they do well with rituals. They often have allergies, um, hay fever, um, and they tend to have an addictive personality, and they often are lean individuals that 's a classic undermethylated individual um, and We know um, that these people can have depression. Well, about one in five people with undermethylation develop depression, so it 's certainly not a fate or complete to have undermethylation. In mm. fact, this is quite good for many people; it helps them succeed having these traits. Mm. so um, this is not a problem, and i 'm not saying people need treatment necessarily if they 're undermethylated. But if they're depressed and under-methylated, they may well need some treatment. And interestingly, this individual often does well on an antidepressant medicine. uh, And that's because it will elevate their serotonin levels, which um, these people will lack. Mm. But the opposite is true in over-methylation. And these people are very different, very different. They're easygoing people. They're not competitive at all. They are very artistic often and creative. They don't usually have any allergies or hay fever. They, always, they tend to be thicker set individuals, not usually lean individuals, um, and they're not at all comp- uh, perfectionists. Um, so these guys make great neighbours, you know, <laughs> and the next door neighbour is really easy going. Okay. And However, again, n- some of these individuals can get mental health problems and, and um, they have a, need a completely different approach. And if you put someone like this on an antidepressant drug, they get worse because they've got too much serotonin in their system. So it's very interesting. Um so that's, I, I think that's an important thing to understand about individual biochemistry. Um, we'll talk very briefly about pyrols, um, which we can go on to the next slide. Um, pyrols, I don't actually want to focus on it too much because it is a very controversial area amongst m- most of my colleagues that don't believe that pyrols are really a problem. But look, elevated pyrols, it's not the pyrol that's the problem. It's what pyrols do, and they tend to have an effect on lowering one's zinc and vitamin B6 levels. Now we already saw the copper zinc connection so that can be a problem. If your zinc gets low your copper is going to start going high and often those two go together. But vitamin B6 um, is a very important enzyme for converting our neurotransmitters from their precursor to their final step. Serotonin, dopamine, GABA, all of those require a B6-dependent step to produce the uh, final product. So you can see if you lower your body's system of vitamin B6, you're going to find that you could get moody. And people with pyroles, um, it's really their body gets under oxidative stress. That's really the, the – they get stressed and inflamed, and that creates mental health problems. The classic person with pyrols is a really sensitive individual. They, they get sensitive to lights, noises, skin fabrics – and they're very moody. They get angry very quickly. They're very hard to control their temper. They're the person you've got to walk around on eggshells behind them because they're going to blow up in a rage very quickly. They don't have very good stress control. Um, And those things are because vitamin B6 and zinc assist the neurotransmitters to be balanced and allow them to have good stress control.
0: And this is something you've gone into and studied and that you use in your practice to help people.
1: So I guess Coming back then in the time we've got left to just talk a little bit about... Oh, sorry, yeah, we've got the character traits there of, of elevated pyrroles causing the, the zinc and B6, and it's really the low zinc B6 that causes these problems, mm. not pyrroles per se. Okay. Um, so um, then if we talk... Um, uh, just coming back now to, to talk a little bit about treatment yes. and I, I think this is in the time I've got left I want to just really focus in on that now obviously it's beyond the scope of this discussion to give a, a medical consultation about how to treat all of these things um, what you need to do is to see someone who's trained using these techniques which to help. would be
0: someone like yourself
1: certainly I've had that training but there are other doctors there's yeah. about probably 150 to 200 how would,
0: doctors how would someone contact you if they wanted to talk so, to you about so they those? can go
1: through my website sanctuaryclinic.com.au or they can call up on there is all the details sure. or they can go to our facebook page or my youtube channel oh and all of those all you, of can, that. You, you can go through and have a look mm. um, but sanctuary lifestyle clinic if you if you google you're going to find it um, but it's sanctuaryclinic.com.au but essentially i guess what i want to want to focus on a little bit is the role of there is a role in these situations for diet and sometimes we actually have to use a specialized diet. in general i like to use plant-based diet approaches but we do have to tweak them in the, in, for methylation problems. So people with under-methylation do well with a high protein content. So we need to sort of get a reasonable amount of protein with them. And people with overmethylation do really well with a lot of folate, so they do really well with high green leafy vegetable intakes. So um, there can be different, slightly different strategies that we. This is
0: definitely not a do-it-yourself approach. No,
1: in fact, you can harm yourself if you don't know what you're doing. They definitely need to see
0: someone. You need to need to see someone who's who's trained trained in this to to do the Um, tests and know what they're dealing with. And
1: there are actually some naturopaths who have some understanding of these kind of things. But uh, the naturopaths don't get the formalised medical training for the nutritional biochemistry. So they they may not understand it all, even though they may have a good idea of how to start. Um, But in general... You know, most people in Australia can do well with a bit of zinc because we find our soils are low in minerals and zinc is often not as well uptaken. And I will say, as much as I'm pro-plant-based diets, you don't get a heap of zinc in the plant-based diet. So you often find for these people who have a problem, and obviously not all of them do, um, in low, you don't, not everyone who has lower zinc has an issue, but if you do have an issue with mental health, you'll often need to supplement with zinc in order to get enough to shift copper, or to treat piles, or to you know give you good mental health,
0: but you should be tested to know and not just I, guess. Absolutely,
1: I think because um, look, I must say zinc is very safe. There's, it's very unlikely to get um, toxicity with zinc, mm. but I think you. you, you but should it could upset the copper. Exactly right, it absolutely could. Another nutrient that I find very positive is magnesium and there is actually some good quality randomised control evidence now for magnesium. Um, In the last two years we've seen three randomised control trials for depression using uh, magnesium versus placebo and magnesium at a dose of around 250 to 300 milligrams elementally was better than a placebo at treating depressive symptoms. So just magnesium alone, uh, and again, I find a lot of us are functionally low in magnesium. Um, You won't often find you're low on a blood test in magnesium, but you may find that you do better with more magnesium and that you're more relaxed. Your mood is better. You get less leg cramps, things like that. Mm -hmm. So... um, and obviously, vitamin B6 can be very important for some people too, but beware, do not supplement with B6 without consulting a health professional, because high doses of B6 in some cases can cause peripheral nerve damage that's usually reversible, but you just have to be very careful and the take-home message is to, to get a trained health professional who knows some of these nutritional and supplemental techniques to assess mental health. Um, but I guess... Um, what I do want to get to your audience, and this certainly is published in the literature, that there are numerous helpful supplements that n- often need to be targeted. And so I'm not always a fan of a multivitamin, just popping that. It's, it's a targeted approach. Um, to, and you can, there are options to treat mental health without resorting to medications all the time. Occasionally, I've got to do both where I need a medication as well as the nutrient therapy to achieve the best outcome for the patient's mental health. Um, and I'm certainly not opposed to the medications, but I certainly am opposed to using medications at the expense of thinking of other things. Yes. And I think that's that's very important.
0: And you're getting very good with this targeted approach. Yes,
1: as I mentioned, probably 75 to 80% of people improve. Mm-hmm. And as I say, some it's dramatic, some it's more modest... Um, and others don't do so well. I will say probably less than 1% actually get worse on the nutrient therapy so that is possible. But mostly people get better,
0: they feel a lot better and it's a really,
1: really useful approach.
0: Very good. Thank you for that. That's been amazing. Not sure I could repeat everything that you said but I did get the understanding of what you were saying and it's great that you can help people so much. So, Our goal is to help support you on your journey through life and we trust that today's program has been helpful to you or someone you love. God bless you.
1: You've been listening to a production of Three ABN Australia Television.